Okay. I just want to pick up last week where we talked about being not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this passage is typically, as we talked about, is typically applied to marriage and dating and stuff like that. But when you go back and read the context, now you can apply that. There's not, nothing wrong with that. But that's not its context per se. But we were, we were taking the illustration. There's actually an illustration being used here about being unequally yoked and what that exactly means. And, of course, our picture. And what we had talked about was that when you're yoking up two animals, the illustration is pretty simple, right? When you're yoking up two animals, you want to the best of your ability to match up animals that are the same size, have the same strength have the same stride, because when you're plowing a field, they're going to go straight, right? Because they're equally yoked. But if you unequally yoke, meaning you have different sizes, different strengths, what's going to end up happening is you're going to be plowing in circles. And one, one is going to be bearing the burden more so than the other. We talked about that, the reality of that in marriage, how as we get married, uh, we're not identical in our gifts and abilities, but we have differences. And how we handle those differences really affect the kind of the nature um, and atmosphere, if you will, as we keep talking about creating a better home environment, it really affects the atmosphere of our marriage, right? So one of the, diff- one of the things that causes issues is that some of the abilities that we have or areas where we're good at things, it's always been that way for us. So we don't consider it to be any kind of an ability. But then when we don't see that ability in our spouse or a lesser ability, if we're not careful, we can just assume that that's the result of them not trying, them not paying attention, them not caring, these types of things, when that's not true at all. One of the classic ones would be, and these are, these are a little more obvious and common, but myself, I tend to be better with numbers. Numbers make a lot of sense to me. I like numbers. Numbers are, numbers are fabulous. Numbers are absolutes, right? One is always one, two is always two. I know there's weirdos trying to teach other math concepts, but what that is, is that is English teachers trying to sneak into the math world is what that is. We need to oust them. Yep, Exactly. Uh, my wife, my wife is way better at spelling, grammar, words are her thing. She's masterful at them. I just feel like, you know, the English language is at best a train wreck with a dumpster fire. I, I do not like, I'm horrible at spelling, partly because I spell things the way they sound phonetically, <laughs> the way I was taught in school. Uh, I before E, except, oh, and then here's some other exceptions. Uh, why is, why is Colonel or Cologne spelled this way? Well, they weren't English words. There are these other words. Who's supposed to remember this? I'm going back to numbers where it's safe. So my, I'll speak in binary. One, zero, 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 one. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, when we first got married, we didn't, we understand some things about each other, but there's a lot that we did not understand about each other. And as we kind of continued on in marriage, we began to discover the differences between us, right? Areas where we're not so much yoked together. And within this, you got to start 
discerning the differences. That's what we talked about last week and catch it up here a bit. We talked about being able to discern our differences, but not letting those differences divide us, but allowing us to help one another in those areas. And the simple thing is if one animal is stronger than the other, then the stronger one should be able to help the weaker animal. But then another concept that is really important in marriage is the concept of synergy. How many are familiar with synergy and how synergy works? Okay. So here's a simple concept about synergy. It's the energy that is created between two forces working together. And let me explain that. So let's say each one of these oxen can pull a thousand pounds individually. Okay. So you, if this oxen's pulling by himself, he can pull a thousand pounds. And if this oxen's pulling by himself, he can pull a thousand pounds. When the two oxen pull together, they will likely be able to pull around 4,500 pounds. Right. And you go, well, I thought you were good with numbers. <laughs> Obviously, you know, a thousand and a thousand, you can only pull 2,000. But working together, they create a greater strength That's right. than they are apart. And I talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago, it might have been last week, but this misconception in our society and I think Christians to a degree have failed, just to be honest with you, where we really don't teach the purpose of marriage. Like, is the purpose of marriage just cohabitating? It's a good question. That's a very good question. And there's more to it. And one of the things that's kind of the visual picture that we have is, is that we are unquestionably stronger together. And so any time where we're divided in our relationship, we're in trouble. Because we're always weaker. And so as we kind of learn our differences between each other, when we find the differences, we discern them, we got to say, hey, how are we going to deal with these differences? Well, we don't want them to become divisive. We don't want to allow our differences to become divisive. We want to allow our differences to help us to understand each other and strengthen each other. And I've used this illustration a couple times, but so earlier on in our marriage, I know this is hard to believe, but I would use you know, the wrong word in a sentence and something I'd seen on TV. And my wife would say, I think what you meant to say is this word because this word means this. And you said this word and it means that I'm like, okay. And it was fine in the beginning. But then as this kind of went on, finally, one day I kind of got fed up with it. And I just told her, I said, I feel like you're my mom, not my wife. You're sitting here correcting me. And my wife says, because I love you and I care about you, I, she goes, I think the world of you. And she goes, I don't want you to be teaching a class or doing something and use a word wrong and have people think that you're dumb or something like that. So I want to make sure that, you know, so basically simply put, she wasn't trying to hurt me. She wasn't trying to put me down. She wasn't trying to exploit weaknesses. She's trying to strengthen my weakness. Do you know, my wife's the perfect person to strengthen that weakness in our relationship. That's her specialty, right? Right. That's not to say that Never at any time in world history will I ever be right about a word or a sentence, and she wasn't. But it's a super rare occasion. This is her strength. So if her strength is just, you're always putting me down, now we're going to have division. We're going to have divisiveness. We're going to have hurt feelings. You're using your strength to, make, to belittle me, uh, you know, to pump yourself up, to always be right, this kind of stuff. But that's not what it's for. We're not trying to use our strength to build us up because... Even at the best of us, we can only pull so much in life, right? But together, we can always pull more. So building each other up is the key. And, and, we, and that's uh, the Bible teaches this concept. So ought 
men to love their wives as their own bodies. Right? God, when he, God is giving us these pictures in his word, he knows exactly how to relate to us and how we relate to ourselves. And he says, okay, men, you ought to love your wives. What's that look like? So he tells men, oh, just so you understand what I'm talking about, as their own bodies, men love themselves. <laughs> Women, uh, you know, children, their spouse, other responsibilities. Women can really neglect themselves in pursuit of caring for others. This is not as common with men. <laughs> men, we always tend to keep us first. And so God knows that because you don't have the reverse of this verse in the Bible. Right. You don't have... You know, women love your husbands as they love their own bodies because it'd be like you're telling you know, them to neglect their husbands to a degree. But for here, for us, it's saying, hey, men, make sure that you love your wives in the way you love yourself. And this is out of Luke. This is what we call the golden rule that we are to love others, right? Or to treat others as we would treat ourselves. God gives us a gauge, a standard, a picture to see. So, when I'm approaching a spouse, if, I'm, if I have a greater ability in a certain area, and this is where division can really come, is when both spouse thinks they're the superior one, <laughs> right? And it could be likely in that scenario, you actually have equal strengths or close to equal strengths. There's not a clear area of leading there. And, and so, hey, how would I want to be treated? How, would, I mean, how about this? How would I like to be talked to? One of the difficulties about communication is the person who's communicating can't see their own expression, right? A lot of times we're thinking about the words we're saying, so we're not as much thinking about the tone with which we're saying it. We may not be thinking about our, our body language, you know, this kind of stuff. And because of that, you know, then our spouse says, hey, you seem really hostile. I'm not hostile. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you settled that. And, and we don't, we're just not acknowledging the really obvious truth that the person who's receiving the information is probably more qualified in that moment to say how it's coming across, right? We just know how we feel. And within this, we want to treat our spouse the way that we want to be treated. Now, and talking about strengths and weaknesses, this is kind of one I want to get into here. You may not realize it, but when we remember things, one of the things we have to be so careful with in our relationships is our memories. Memories are insanely powerful. They can be really helpful. They can be toxically detrimental. Right. Probably all of us, maybe not all of us, but probably all of us have an event in our mind, and I want you to think of a memory like a movie set, right? Ever seen one of these big production set type things? And at any moment, you and I can walk on to that, that movie set. And what's, a, what's the purpose of a movie set? It's to make it look as real as possible. The snow's not real, the streets aren't real, it's in some warehouse somewhere, right? The houses aren't real, there's nothing behind, it's not even a house, it's just a facade. All the people coming out are all dressed up. There are all these things, but it doesn't matter in that thing. It's not about it being real. That's not the requirement. The requirement is it has to look and feel and sound real. That's what the whole purpose is. Our memories are very, very similar, where at any moment we can step into a memory 
and we're stepping into the past. And isn't it interesting that you and I, if we wanted to, we could dig up a memory, and this actually happened to somebody I know this morning. We can <laughs> dig up a memory from the past, and we can step into that, and we can feel, and we can relive that moment. That's right. Yep. Yep. And it's just, if it's not just as real, it's very similar. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so you could be going along and having a good day. Everything's going good. And your, your spouse says something, and it triggers a memory. And where'd you go? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back down your real. You know? And it could be a memory from childhood. It could be a memory in your marriage. Right? Some horrible event that happened. Some moment, some evening, some phone call, some, uh, you know, a read a text, whatever. And all of a sudden, you're back to that place. It's just as real. The pain is just as real. Right? Anybody? Anybody? Memories are super powerful. We have to be super cautious with them. And, and we can, sometimes we go voluntarily down memory lane, and then other times we're kind of drug, drug into it, you know, if you've had those. Well, there's a couple of things we need to learn. Memories are built on one of two things, and this is super duper important. Our memories, the way they work is they take information that we have from an event, and then our memory fills in the gaps. And you go, no, that's not true. I'm spot on. That's, that's not true. And this, this is everybody. We, we, our brain fills in the gaps. And it was super, I was watching this documentary, it was super weird. Because there was a person who had experienced, they'd seen the 9-11 event. But in their mind, they saw it from their office window. Like when they close their eyes and they see when they first saw it, it's from their office window. Their office window faces the water. It doesn't even face those buildings. It's a literal impossibility for that person to have seen that event, but that's how their memory recorded it. Our memory fills in details. Now, when filling in details, there's two, one of two things. Your memory builds itself on one of two things, your mind or your emotions. Mm -hmm. Some people have a stronger emotional memory than a mental memory. Mental memory sounds like this. The sky was this, the ground was this, the cup was this, the wind was this. There's not really a feeling to it. It's just a sense of the details. Emotional memory is built off of how you felt, right? Oh, I will never forget that. I was so hurt. That was the grace. I was so happy. I, and then all the details. So point being, if you had a good feeling you're going to go back and your mind is going to, what's it going to remember? It's going to remember those things that led you to that feeling. So I remember everything. It's going to remember the things that led you to that feeling. If it was hurt, what are you going to remember? You're going to remember the things that led you to that feeling. So we have to be careful because we'll have a conversation. It goes south, right? Who know what I'm saying when I say a conversation with us? Come on, married people. Conversation goes south. We're hurt. Now, when you replay the conversation, what does it sound like? You said, and the only part you quote is the part that hurt you. Some of these conversations, now I know you have children, so some kind of have to navigate, right? <laughs> Segregate these conversations. But these conversations can last an hour, two, three hours. Easy. But if you remember hurt, 
you're going to take five or six things that probably add up to three, four, five minutes. And that's all you remember. And what our memory, now listen, what our memory is doing, you got to pay attention to this, is saying this three hour conversation was full of this. That is not accurate. That is not even kind of accurate. There was a lot of, hey, I'm trying to explain this and what about this? And, and believe it or not, even in Hertz, and nobody wants to confess this, there are some good points. There were some good things said. There were some clarifications. Okay, that's what you were talking about. But because it didn't eliminate the hurt, this is what I remember. And we've got to be careful about that. We have to be careful. We have to be careful, one, because our memory will exclude. And this is what happens. We go around and we judge our spouse based on our memory. Be honest about that. A lot of times, your concept of your marriage is built on your memory. Yes, it is. Just stay married longer till later and you'll figure it out. It's true. It's built on our perception, our concept. And I'm saying this, our concepts are ever-changing. Really cautious with our memories and what it does and, and how we allow it to affect us. And again, there's voluntary and involuntary. Sometimes people literally need counseling to help overcome memories that just haunt them. And again, sometimes... It takes both of you to discern that right. and go, this right. is something we're not getting past. This isn't just a conversation. This just isn't a clarification. This is something that's going to need a little more than that. Right. And you can support your spouse through that. So we want to be careful. Now, the other thing is we want to be cautious about not realizing that everything we do builds memories. Good. Right. And I know I've talked to some dads about this, who I think do a really good job where they come home from work and they're super tired and the kids are super, super excited to see them and say, dad, come play this and come play that. And they're like, I just don't want to do anything. But they go play with the kids and you talk to them and say, man, why you push yourself hard? This is what they'll tell you. I felt like my dad or my mom or my parents never had time for me and I do not want my kids growing up that way. What are they saying? These are distinct memories I have from childhood that I don't want to give to my children. Well, Think about this with our spouses. What memories don't you want to give to your spouse? Now, and inevitably, we're going to say, well, I've already given my spouse some memories I didn't want to give to them, you know, at some point, <laughs> whatever that would be. But also remember that, as just as I was saying, that memories can be created. So you cannot, and there's some people who teach this, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, we got to replace bad memories with good ones. I understand what they're trying to say, but that's nonsense. I was in a horrific car accident as a kid and lost one of my parents, but I'll replace that memory by going to Disneyland. That's, that's, that's not going to work. But what you can do, and, and, and I, like I said, I taught this privilege, so I'm not going to linger a long time. But what you can do is create new memories like, for instance, if my wife and I, and this is kind of what I'm trying to apply, if my wife and I always fight about a certain topic, then, and, I, and that's in our past. That's not the current. That's in the past. We've dealt with it, but it's just there, right? It's this bad memory that just kind of leads you in there, okay? So what good memories are, so we need to create some memories about having good conversations, conversations that edify, conversations that encourage. And we need to start building those memories. And a lot of times people feel like, well, it's just escaping the bad memory. No, it's about creating good memories. Because 
if I had one bad conversation with my wife, but a hundred good ones, then the one's really not that big of a deal. But if I've only had one conversation with my wife and it was bad, then it's epically tragic. Right. And, and, and whether, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, when you look at your memories, be careful how much credibility you give to that memory. Some spouses continually punish their spouse because of the sharpness of the memory they carry. And, and the spouse can never be freed from this person's memory. And I, I want to tell you this. Pastor said this this week. It was really good. The goal is about getting better, not being bitter. Mm-hmm. Not getting even. <clears throat> What's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? That's right. That's right. The, the goal is together we're stronger. We've chosen each other. We've chosen the life of marriage. Together we're stronger. That means there's going to be things we need to leave in the past. Right? And I don't know who had this concept of I was going to get into marriage and there wasn't going to be problems. There wasn't going to be bad memories. Like, I don't know who was selling that. Probably Disney. (laughs) But that's not true. So they're going to be there. And I'm not trying to be negative. They're going to be there in the future too. So it's not about avoiding anything that's bad. It's about learning how to deal together with what is difficult, with what is bad. It takes communicating with each other. And accepting we're going to work through this. The other thing that's really difficult on people is they don't get instant resolve. And that frustrates people. Well, we talked about it. I've had problems that we've worked on for five plus years of my marriage. And then finally found the solution. But I've been, I've been in our conversations with my wife. And both of us are saying, I just don't think this can be solved. And don't, you don't have to say anything. But you've probably been there too. I'm like, I don't see a solution for this. And so when we get to that point, we just start saying, well, I guess avoidance is a solution. But really, avoidance is division. And division, you're weaker. You're weaker together. You know, well, I'll just have to go alone here. No, hey, what's the purpose of the married life? Together. Our strength is together. So a plan of division or isolation doesn't work. So it's like, hey, we don't have a solution. I remember one time my wife said, "Um, well, you feel completely opposite of me about this. So we'll just go with what you believe. Now you think I would have celebrated that, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit stirred me and I said, no, no. never do that. Yes. Never do that. Right. Always. And she's like, this makes no sense. We totally don't agree on this. And you're telling me to stick to my point and you're going to stick to your point. This is contention. And I said, at some point, I believe God will help bring us resolution and we'll come together, but we'll never reach that point if one person just says, well, I just give up. Right. Right. I'll just, I'll just go with what you think. And I hate to say that, but you see that in some marriages where either the husband or the wife, where you go to talk to one and say, no, 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 the other person's so overpowering. And this person, you can tell they lost their identity a long time ago. There was a young lady who my wife and I had been talking to and she had grown up suffering physical and verbal abuse from her father. And she was turning 18 and, and, and she was able to get out of that situation, praise the Lord, and got to a safe place. And we had been praying for her and, and different things and so she called us and was giving us an update on how she was doing and everything. And she said, and I never thought about this before. She said, one of the problems I'm having is making decisions. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, my decisions and my opinions were always given to me. And for the first time in my life, I have to figure out what I think and what I believe. And it's totally new for me. She's 18 years old. And we don't want to do that to our spouse. You may be passionate about your opinion, definitely. 
But in the same way you value your opinion, value their opinion. You go, well, they don't agree with me. Well, then we need to figure out where the bridge is between the two because we're stronger together. The point is together. That's where the strength lies. You have two parents who want to parent the kids differently. You got trouble. You don't have better parenting that way. You do not. Well, you know what? You know, they kind of deal with the kids and, you know, I, I just stay away from it. You're not stronger. That's not a solution. But the one parent could say who has more of a natural gift for parenting, hey, you know what? I'll help you give you some ideas, some things, not belittling, but I know you didn't grow up around kids. I did. There's a natural strength. I'll help. Does that make sense? So better together, strengthening each other, consider thyself. All right, you're dismissed. Have an 